Today we're going to have with us one of the most famous doctors in the United States, my colleague, Dr. David Smith, founder of the Haight-Ashbury Medical Clinic and definitely a leader in the treatment of chemical dependence in this country and around the world. Before we talk to David, a brief introduction. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to enhance your physical and emotional well-being and encourage community. I say encourage community because I believe that human beings function in the most healthy way, in the richest, deepest way, when we live in community, when we know everyone that we associate with by name, or at least by face. Because when we live this way, in the way that I think we were meant to live, which is as tribal animals, I believe humans are tribal animals, that when we live this way, we tend to be cooperative, collaborative, and friendly, helpful to one another. We humans love doing things together, We love hanging out together, whether it's going to a ball game or a sewing circle or golfing or maybe bowling. One thing we love to do as human beings is sit around in small circles and eat together. We love eating together and chatting. And if you learned about the Blue Zones, you know that the people who live the longest on this planet are people who socialized with one another on a regular basis. But at the very same time, dear friends, we must recognize that there's a very small group of us who are not friendly, collaborative tribal animals. They are predators. They are people who would have us return to being their subjects instead of living as we do as citizens. And so we must be ever mindful of the predators amongst us so that we maintain our democracy and our republic. In the words of Thomas Jefferson, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. With that, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, David. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Richard. Always enjoy talking to you. David, one of the things I want to talk to you about is the topic of one of my forthcoming books, and that is Adverse Effects of Psychedelics. And I know you've been talking about that, and I know you've had concerns, for example, about the bill that Governor Newsom just vetoed to decriminalize certain psychedelic uh, uh, substances. Please share... Please share your thoughts on why, on what your concerns are in your whole course of action to protect the American public. Thank you, Richard. Uh, it's a, a complicated question uh, because uh, 
uh, and I prepared uh, because I knew you'd ask provocative questions. And I've looked at my recent writings. The article that's most relevant to that question I published in San Francisco uh, Medicine called Psychedelics and Medicine Deja Vu All Over Again. How that came about was I began my career with uh, the study of psychedelics in the laboratory. And that was the era, as you know, from your writings in which uh, drugs like LSD were used for therapeutic purposes. So that was very interested in that. Uh, and you had some top uh, clinicians, scientists who uh, were studying up for the treatment of alcoholism and other disorders. So there was a tremendous amount of uh, therapeutic uh, potential uh, I lived in the Haight-Ashbury because I went to UCSF med school and then suddenly the counterculture exploded and large numbers of people started taking LSD uh, for uh, non-medical reasons. Now, I don't want to put that down because a lot of interesting stuff happened to that. Uh, psychedelic music, psychedelic sound, art forms. But there was a lot of adverse reactions because it was done in an uncontrolled fashion in terms of set and setting. Uh, and that's when we started Haight-Ashbury Free Clinics because at that time, Richard, as you know, addiction was a crime. Doc, uh, uh, doctors that treated addiction were guilty and they were embedding a felony. And treating these people, you ran foul of uh, law enforcement. So basically what happened, they had all these young people gathered in the Haight-Ashbury. The police said, if you're crazy enough to work there, you can, uh, but we're going to wall it off. So we had, um, uh, we had undercover agents come in, and they, then we saw the shift to speed and heroin, and that just killed everything. Uh, reschedule to schedule one. Uh, that was when I uh, basically in initiated the field of addiction medicine, now which is a medical specialty. So it morphed into much more serious drug problems. And the theory was that these psychedelics led to the more serious addiction problems. I, I uh, I don't really believe that. I, I think there was other forces. You talked about predators. Uh, uh, and I feel these, the drug dealers as predators. They saw a susceptible population. That's when Charlie Manson came in and the drug dealers and the speed dealers. But if, if you see a susceptible population, it's susceptible because they have mental health problems as a result of psychedelics. And you bring in these toxic potent drugs, then you are going to see uh, the escalation of addiction. So that was that era. The field of addiction medicine escalates. Uh, the drug problem is much worse now than it ever was. There's three overdose deaths uh, a day in San Francisco. We call them the frequent flyers. The ERs are filling up with uh, individuals that have drug-induced overdoses and medical problems, and it's very, very serious now. 
That's what we call the second psychedelic revolution. And then the third is what's happening now, which is uh, these chemicals, as you know, Richard, have no moral characteristics. It's how they're used, the set and setting. And in your writings, you have talked about that. But the issues that we see with a certain number of young people, they don't think about that. They don't, re they don't read, they don't prepare. And this latest issue relative to Governor Newsom's bill uh, uh, came as a result of uh, an attorney, outstanding attorney, uh, Beth, uh, whose niece uh, took psilocybin and jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and recorded her suicide uh, feelings before that. And we've had three or four of those. When you do a, 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 an analysis of these deaths, uh, it's not like, well, they go see a therapist, they prepare, they read, they have set setting. Uh, they just say, well, gee, let's just go take, I read about psychedelics and I'm gonna take it. And bad stuff happens. So in looking at uh, the readings and preparing for this talk and my recent articles, what my thinking is, uh, I wrote another article for uh, uh, Addiction Medicine, uh, ASAM Weekly, called The Future of Psychedelic Medicine. And then at UCSF, they have a psilocybin research center. And... Uh, where they're doing controlled studies. And then in addition, we have a group here uh, called uh, Psychedelics and Recovery. I'm in 12-step recovery. I have used psychedelics to deal with comorbid, like PTSD from athletic injuries. There's a small group of us here, even though it's still schedule one, that looking at how, uh, Psychedelics can enhance spiritual recovery when you're in recovery from drugs of abuse. It's called uh, a psychedelics and recovery, about 17 groups. In addition, uh, we're looking at the ceremonial use, uh, the, the indigenous cultures. Uh, they are, these indigenous uses are throughout the Bay Area and they come and present about how the psychedelics were used to reinforce their culture. And then I uh, uh, founded the Journal of Psychoactive Drugs and the Journal of Psychedelic Drugs. It's out of UCSF now. Joe Geidish is the editor. And with this whole last issue was filled with uh, studies from other countries all over the world, Peru, Mexico, Uruguay, on the ceremonial use of psychedelics. In fact, some of the people in our group go to Peru for ayahuasca uh, ceremonies. So I guess it's a long-winded way of saying, Richard, there's different pods. There's the misuse and abuse. There's the therapeutic use. There is the ceremonial use. Same chemical, but very different outcomes. And so we, I will go in, I will target down on your specific question. What happens when people have an adverse reaction? 
The study of the brain has helped us demonstrate that. For example, a brief summary for your readership. There is the thinking part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. That's logic, reason. That's what we're talking about now. This is buried on top of the subcortical subconscious. When you have trauma, you can't function if all you deal with is thinking about your trauma. So it buries down into uh, what's called the trauma cone. It's down into this uh, cingulate gyrus and it walls off. There is an area that modulates that called the default mode neural network. And when the default mode neural network is hyperactive, and that's when uh, it's ego driven. Ego is very important. If you got a saber toothed tiger coming to you, or if you're preparing for a, a, a interview with your esteemed colleague, uh, Richard Miller, I got to look at my articles. I got to study them. I got to prepare. I got to distance myself from all this background noise. If you want to move to serenity, then you have decreased default mode neural network. And that is accomplished through meditation, yoga, many of the techniques that you've described. But what happens is the classic psychedelics are called 5-HT2 receptor agonists. They activate a particular receptor in the serotonin system and decrease activity in that default mode network. That trauma cone opens up. Out comes all sorts of stuff. The stuff is good if it's in therapy. But if you're out uh, and you're a young person and you don't know that's coming up, they call it garbage mind. Suddenly all the garbage comes out. You don't know how to deal with it. Uh, that's what a bad trip is. That, uh, As you know, when you take a potent psychedelic, you can have your intention of why you're doing it. But what comes out is much different. And, and, and just to personalize, if I may, um, I, I took LSD and had a spiritual experience, which the thing that made me change my career and start Kate Ashbury Free Clinics. So I've had experience early, but recently I had a very serious athletic injury, fractured some ribs, punctured a lung, I had, uh, was in the hospital. Uh, after it, I had PTSD. So I have a guide. I took psilocybin. My purpose for taking the psilocybin was PTSD. And I took a heroic dose. I'm not a microdose guy. I'm a macrodose guy. I want to see God. And what came out of that? Uh, uh, three and a half. Yeah. He was ready to go to five grams, but I was out in the universe and I said, no, I, I couldn't even make a decision. Uh, cause I was, you know, I had this spiritual experience. Uh, I had, uh, communicated with my, uh, dead parents. Uh, I interacted with, uh, my grandparents. I went so, f and all the, geometric divisions and all and, and, and the visions that you know. And I went so far out that 
it dealt with the purpose of why I took it, but I went so much further than I had intended. And did you after, take it? Did, did you take it rather? Was this rather recently in the last few years? Yes. Okay, yeah. so you're you're in your eighties, and yeah. did uh, did you have any concern about increase in blood pressure and heart rate? Oh yeah, you know me, and yeah, I studied the literature uh, about blood pressure, pulse rate. Uh, I totally reviewed the literature, and I was concerned about the medical aspect, being a senior, and none of that happened. But yeah, also, well, I I just want to share with you that I'm uh, the same age as you are. I'll be eighty five in uh, March, and typically now when I take a psychedelic. I'll take a little propanolol or a tenolol with it in order to modulate my blood pressure just to be on the safe side. I agree. That's what 10, I, but you're an experienced, knowledgeable person. In other words, when you do it, you have to think through all those things, your age, uh, your comorbid medical problems. Uh, I spent a lot of time preparing with my guide. Uh, went to a safe spiritual place that I took with uh, that I, where I took the LSD originally, and uh, it was my intent uh, to do what I did with LSD, which is walk down Lake Tahoe and talk to the trees and the leaves and experience nature. I couldn't and you even also get off the couch. But you also had the intention of dealing with the PTSD right. from this accident, from the accident. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Intentionality. Yeah. You have to know why you're, you're doing it. And I can say that I had to have assistance of going to the bathroom. And the only <laughs> person I talked to was the dog on my chest. This little dog knows all my secrets. And uh, so you have to you have to have intentionality set and setting. So let's put this in context, David, of the three modalities that you discussed earlier, recreational, medicinal, and spiritual shamanistic. You were definitely in the medicinal. You were taking this with a guide, with preparation, and you were taking it for medicinal purposes to deal with, with a psychological trauma that we relate to as post-traumatic stress disorder. That is correct. Yeah. that's. A, I want to put it in context. Right. That's why I wanted to, to say that it's not just the drug. And it is also the preparation, the dosage. I know that uh, there's this trend towards microdosing. Uh, I've had these individuals say... And I'll, I'll be interested in your thing. All the studies indicate is the larger dosage has a spiritual experience. So I have these individuals that microdose and say it doesn't do anything or just does a little bit. I know they're doing it down in Silicon Valley, and uh, there's really no studies that support its, its therapeutic benefit. You know, I've been exp self-experimenting, as you have, for the last 50, 60 years, and I have been experimenting with microdosing, um, it's a very different experience. Uh, 
Um, if you if you do a classic microdose, you really don't notice anything because it's subsensate. If you right. take it up, I've taken it up a few micrograms at a time until I can feel it and then moved up a little bit to see the differences as you titrate up in different amounts. And as best I can tell as, a, as an N of one, of course, David, at very low doses, it LSD temp, and same with uh, psilocybin, they tend to be what I would call slight energizers. They don't That's bring on they don't bring on psychological effects. They don't bring on any hallucinations whatsoever. It's very mild. And you might even th think of it as maybe two cups of very strong coffee if you take a little tiny bit more than a microdose. So if a classic microdose is 10 micrograms, and if I take 15, then I can feel the coffee effect. If I stay with 10, I don't feel anything whatsoever. When I move up to 18, it starts to 20. It starts to have an effect on my cognitive processing in terms of thought processes. And it's, it seems like it's enhancing creativity. I say seems like because I'm certainly not going to generalize from an N of one. I can only report on my self-experimentation. But there does seem to be that increase in creativity as I move the microdose numbers up. That's what I can report to you. Well, I think that's important uh, because you're very much of a, you know, an observer and it's dose related effects, what intentionality is, what your function is. Uh, and there's this anecdotal self-reports, but the, the, the studies, uh, the ones with substance abuse disorders, uh, and there's a study out of UCSF that indicates that the higher dosages of psilocybin, um, have, uh, enhanced recovery and where it seems to enhance it, these are individuals that are in 12 step recovery. And, uh, as you know, in the seventh, eighth and ninth step, you do the switching moral inventory, all the trauma comes up, they get stuck there and the psychedelics enhance their ability to deal with, with trauma. A lot of people relapse, they, they, they stop drinking and using. They're moving well, I've, along. I've, I've read your research on this, David, and your work seems to indicate that there's immediate assistance with chemical dependence with psychedelics, but your work indicates that it doesn't hold, that, that they're back to their old ways within a couple of years, if I'm reading your work correctly. Yeah, that's why we say uh, psychedelic-assisted uh, recovery, because what it's supposed to do is, and then the framework that I use, the addiction medicine framework, which is medication-assisted treatment. In other words, you don't take the psychedelic and think it'll solve the problem. You take the psychedelic and enhances your ability to 
a work and recovery program. I call it a Geiger counter for the subconscious. Uh, as you know, Carl Jung says, if you don't make the unconscious conscious, you'll call it fate. And these patients that I work with say, I'm an addict, an alcoholic, I'll always be that way. Then you use a psychedelic, oh no, maybe I won't always be that way. And then you work in, in, in your recovery program. I happen to be involved in 12-step or a very skilled therapist. I have skilled therapists that are not in 12-step recovery, but understand uh, uh, trauma. A big percentage of relapses occurs with uh, uh, trauma that hasn't been dealt with. They stop drinking, stop using, helps them deal with the psychiatric symptoms of depression, anxiety, but they don't deal with that. There is one very similar thing about using psychedelics medicinally and chemical dependence treatment, and that is I see the use of a psychedelic as the psychedelic is a tool for looking into the mind during the psychedelic experience. Correct. And then afterwards comes the work of polishing up the gold that we took out of the mind, the work of the week-in and week-out therapy. In In chemical dependence, we have the initial period when we detox somebody and they stop the use. But that's only step one. As you well know, the right. next step is the same as with the psychedelics, is the week in and week out, because no psychedelic changes years of habits of lying, cheating, stealing, and doing all kinds of malevolent behavior. That has to be unlearned, and new habits have to be formed which we can't do in one day, no matter what the miracle pill is, right? I totally agree. And what what I have done, Richard, and your your writings, you you know, are very substantial in this area, but I read the big book of AA. And there's, uh, we've entered the world of the spirit. Uh, Carl Jung said that the, the, the compulsion to use alcohol is so great that only a spiritual solution will resolve it. Then you read Psychedelic Wisdom, and there's a section on there uh, in which you interview uh, Dr. Levine, and he talks about spirituality. If you remove AA or the psychedelics, spiritual solutions are what they're after. And then the studies come along because to convince the medical community, you have to be able to measure it. You know, we can say that you know, because my goal is to uh, introduce spirituality into medicine. We all have our different professional goals in life. And uh, me- medicine has a way of, of dealing with life, but not death. And uh, in this particular area, they the common search for a spiritual solution is the commonality. And the study done at UC, and then you again have to be able to measure it. As an example, they did a study at UCSF with uh, AIDS survivors. And these are individuals that all of their friends died from AIDS and they have survivor guilt and they have serious depression that disables their life. And then they have pain and they use a whole lot of morphine. They gave them uh, psilocybin 
measured what they call a spirituality index. And they came to grips with life, death, that intermediate uh, uh, phase. Their morphine requirements uh, decrease. They're actually, their comorbid medical problems decrease. I don't mean it cured things, but it, it decreased. In fact, there's a study out of Mexico that found that individuals that use psychedelics do, do better in dealing with their chronic medical problems and their uh, psychic distress goes down. I mean, it's really fascinating stuff. For example, UCSF is also doing a study with uh, psychedelics and Parkinsonism. How does that happen? Well, they found out that the emotional toll of Parkinsonism aggravates the Parkinsonism. And if you can relieve that through spiritual problems, their Park, uh, their uh, their movement disorder decreases. Doesn't cure it. I don't want it to say that it cures it, but it, the, the the movement disorder decreases, and their uh, involvement with the medication is better. They found that there's a very potent psychological and spiritual component associated with uh, these uh, 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 disorders, and then they measure what's called the spirituality index. And I've got it in this latest issue of the journal. It's uh, unity, spirituality, intentionality. And they can measure it. And then they found out that the group that, and, and this is the substance abuse disorders, the group, uh, this was, what, oh, no, this was with depression, I'm sorry. Depression and substance abuse, yeah, depression. And they found out that at the end of six months, the psychedelic group, and there was two different studies, one with LSD and one with psilocybin, had a better quality of life and equal uh, uh, or improved antidepressant effect than the classic psychedelics. And the people that started this study said that I want to look at a drug group that you don't have to take every day. As you know, when you do the psychedelic therapy at the higher dosage, it's not like microdosing, you know, where you take it every day. You have these intense experience over a particular period of time and that psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Andrew Penn emphasizes that the uh, psychedelic therapy is important as the actual psychedelic. In other words, what you learn and how you integrate it, yeah. So they can measure the spirituality index. And again, <clears throat> spirituality is just starting to be introduced back into the field of addiction medicine. But physicians require some sort of measurement. Uh, and, you know, we believe because we've experienced it, we've seen it in our patients and our friends, but to, to change the medical system, you have to have... Uh, measurements. So for the first time I've been asked to present to an addiction medicine conference on psychedelics and spirituality. Wow. Yes, it's growing. It's yeah. growing. David, I want to come back to something else you said earlier in our interview. You talked about when we were talking about adverse effects that I want to come back to. You said that approximately three people are dying every day in San Francisco of some kind of uh, substance-related uh, yeah. event. Fentanyl overdose is a big one. Yeah. Are they dying from the drugs that we relate to as drugs 
such as heroin and cocaine and alcohol, or are they also dying from what are sometimes called hallucinogenics or what I call psychedelics, LSD, psilocybin? Yeah, there's basically two, uh, two, three clusters. The one that's the most dramatic is the fentanyl overdose okay. on the street. And we yes. call those the frequent flyers. Then we're seeing this uh, big increase in methamphetamine. Yes. And that's one of the concerns that I have, Richard, about microdosing. In other words, as you know, pharmacologically, if you take small doses, uh, you have a stimulant effect. But individuals that are addiction-prone genetically, they don't want to stay with small doses. They want to escalate the dosage. In fact, I think that's kind of the bridge in the, in the 60s, a lot of people took psychedelics, went to Grateful Dead, had these groups, just like you said, they had these group processes. They bonded. They did this, that, and the other thing. And then a subpopulation uh, uh, wanted the higher dose, more potent effect, and then you had the predators come in. So uh, what we call patient selection is very, very crucial. But the overdoses, I serve as medical director of some private programs. The fentanyl epidemic is moving into the middle class. It's moving into the kids. Yes. And that's part of the problem. <clears throat> Richard, but some of these psychedelics have fentanyl in them. They're some mixing, of the marijuana has fentanyl. Really? They're putting fentanyl in with things like LSD and psilocybin? No, the pills. In the pills. The pill. And they say, oh, this is a psychedelic pill. There's fentanyl oh, in it. I see. And but, that's why are, but are we seeing deaths from LSD and psilocybin? No. 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 That's imp okay. It's very and no important. no addiction either. Yeah. Okay. So this is very important that Dr. David Smith is telling us that we are not seeing death from LSD. We're not seeing deaths from psilocybin. And we're not seeing people getting addicted. Of course, you don't get addicted to a psychedelic because you wear out your serotonin. And, right. and, and no matter how much more you take, it doesn't make any difference. It's not the same as, the, as heroin and, and, and cocaine in that regard. So when you, when you cite uh, data like you did in one of your articles that I have here, which says there was a 69% increase in... Uh, emergency room uh, 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 visits with people with hallucinogens, what is that saying to us? And what is it saying to us when you say there was a 79% increase in associated hospitalizations? Are, are, are we talking there with LSD and psilocybin, or are you relating to other kinds of substances? The totality, the biggest increase with the hallucinogens is methamphetamine. But for example, if you oh. like a school situation, uh, you take this potent 97% THC cannabis and cannabis induced psychosis, or you take, uh, you take a pill, here, here, take this LSD, uh, and you know, majority of the people, you know, don't have a serious problem, but there's a subpopulation that has a significant problem. And then they end up in the emergency room. And then the emergency rooms are, are, are not prepared to deal with it. That's why we talked to, uh, handle the top down center 
in the original Haight-Ashbury Clinic because the medical system, if it is in fact an adverse psychedelic reaction, the medical system is not well prepared to deal with this. We have what we do all the rock medicine at uh, Grateful Dead concerts. We handle it on site with talk-down guides. And you know this fascinating phenomenon that's just really n- new to me is that Burning Man, lots of psychedelics are being taken at Burning Man. They have bad trips, but then they have guides that got Zendo. They have guides that convert a bad trip into a good trip. Isn't that fascinating? Yes. I, I Actually, a bad trip in the right setting with the proper guide such as you use or I use is the best kind of trip because yeah. that that is when you get into the material that's the scariest and right. it's the scariest material that you want to get into so long as you have the proper guidance and support to deal with that scary material that comes out of the box the way you described it earlier in the interview. You take the medicine and stuff seeps out that's been sequestered, that's been pushed down in there, the traumatic material that you described. So, of course, when you have the proper person to help you with it, that's the best work. But when you don't or you take it recreationally, such as a place like a rave or Burning Man, you're on your own with the scariest material that you ever dealt with in your life and panic sets in. And that, that is a bad trip because there's no one there to help you. Now I I have a question for you on that. In your experience, can you describe some of the adverse effects from psychedelics that you have encountered? Yes. Uh, my earlier writings, when we had a whole bunch of this, you know, we did a very, we had the largest concentration of bad trips uh, because they all concentrated in the Haight-Ashbury and Canberra Clinic. So uh, this was not, you know, dose-related study. This was self-administration. So I'll uh-huh. just describe it clinically. Yes. I, I call it a bad body trip where they'd see the bones in their hand and they'd come in and they could they they actually could see the bones in their hand or their uh, body distortion they'd totally freak out a bad mind trip uh i can see uh uh the notes coming out of jerry garcia's guitar and it's going into my brain and controlling my brain then you had the group uh I wouldn't call this a, uh, I'd call it a consequence, but we did a, uh, a, we published this paper called the group marriage communique study in that crazy period where it was all these competing gurus and Charlie Manson gave his, these girls, we call them Charlie's girls, LSD. And he performed magic trips. They'll call that kind of a, an environmental trip. And he'd say, see that object across the street. I can, or room, I could make it move. And then he, it was kind of like mind control. And he kind of, and I remember uh, uh, interviewing uh, one of the women that came to our clinic. That was all before the violence. And I t- talked with her on a parole hearing and she says it was 
I was four years on uh, uh, death row before Charlie left my mind. And I think the studies of this are way beyond uh, uh, the focus here. But it demonstrates that cult leaders can inculcate their thinking and their ideology in susceptible people's minds. In other words, when I saw them there, I thought, you know, he preached peace and love, okay. But there were so many, you know, cult, battling cult leaders. I didn't think any that much of him. Uh, but when I saw that he told these girls to turn right, they went right, turn left to do right, go up the stairs, go down the stairs, go see the doctor, had total control over. It was like a herd of fish. And you see some of the violence now, the mass hysteria and violence and the cults. Uh, I think this is a, a, I'm not claiming that this was, uh, psychedelics were involved in it, but psychedelics are a study for the tool of the mind, how, how but, you can. But I, I believe you are suggesting, and correct me if I'm mistaken, that we are all hyper-suggestible, or at least more suggestible, under the influence of psychedelic medicines yes. than we are ordinarily. And if you are saying I, that, well, I want to underline it in red because that's important. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And that is one of the dangers of uh, 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 psychedelic and uncontrolled uh, group settings, because I very much believe in your, your opening remarks on the importance of uh, tribe and bonding. I mean, you look at these ceremonial things. I have a friend of mine that has gone to Peru, and he's got these ayahuasca ceremonies, and they're all in a group, and he, they're with nature, and he's communing with nature. That's suggestibility that is very uh, uh, important. And he's coming back, and he's going to start a, a center in, in Marin. When, when, particularly when it gets rescheduled, because you know it's all underground here in the Bay Area. But as of soon course. as it gets rescheduled, it'll get, it'll go above ground. And so I think the group psychedelic setting uh, can be very beneficial as well as the uh, individual, but it increases suggestibility, no doubt about it. Well, I I personally uh, have a problem. I'm a, I'm a gr trained group therapist. I love doing group therapy with chemical-dependent people. I love it. I, as you may recall, I, I love from my coke, ender, alcohol, and drug program days right. do, doing group therapy with, with chemically dependent. But with psychedelics, I have misgivings about group therapy. I know we're going to have to do it because of the economics. We're going to have to figure out a way to do it. My misgivings are I'm a very sensitive person. You put me in a room with 15 people and I'm on psychedelics and they are, and some of them start regurgitating and they're throwing up all over the place, which I know as I've I witnessed happen, I'm going to be affected by that. Or if they start moaning and groaning and screaming, I'm going to be affected by that. So I'm much more comfortable myself and one guide and nobody else around. How we're going to kill, how yeah. we're going to uh -huh. conquer how are they going to, we're going to conquer that suggestibility remains to be seen. 
But we're running out of time, David, and I've got some important uh, issue, an important issue I want to ask you about. I know, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know that we, you and I as scientists believe that it's our constitutional right in the privacy of our home to take substances that are potentially harmful as long as we don't in any way give them to another person or take another person into the situation with us. In other words, self-experimentation with a professional guide is, a, I believe, is a constitutional right. I think it's my right, for example, to drink rat poison if I want to in my home. The question I have for you, David, is talk to us some about the line between our constitutional right to ingest what we want and at the same time our responsibility as professionals to protect the public. How do you protect the public without taking such a parental role that you make ingestion illegal? Well, I uh, might be a little bit more conservative than you. Uh, I'm just going to focus on the psychedelics. Okay. And I think the key is what do you view psychedelics as a medicine or a drug? And I want them to be viewed as a medicine with side effects. And if you take a medicine for spiritual pursuits, you have the right to do that. You have the right to alter your consciousness. You have to be very aware of safety. And that that's what came up in this Newsom bill. I mean, I was surprised that I was opposed to the Newsom bill. I didn't want people arrested. In other words, that's the thing we agree on. I don't believe that you should... Uh, you should criminalize addiction or criminalize drug use. Hasn't worked. If you harm people, yes. But the Newsom bill focus was on decriminalization, just making it legal without any uh, uh, guardrails. In other words, none of the stuff that you said was incorporated in the bill. And that's why we opposed it. We said, I don't want people arrested. You know, I've got, I've got some criticism for that. And he says, well, you want to criminalize it? No, I want guardrails. I want it to, you have guidelines for medicine. See, the, the, the Newsom bill looked at it as, as a drug. I want it viewed as a medicine with side effects. Everything you said about uh, proper use of psychedelics should be incorporated in it. And uh, then how, how do you deliver that system? I agree. Uh, I, I don't want to do the group. Uh, that wouldn't work for me. I think the economics uh, are probably going to move in that direction, but it won't be me that does it. I won't participate in it, but I don't want to ever go in and, uh, you know, arrest a whole household of Marin County people that are taking psychedelics together. You know, that's, I've been through that era. I've been through that kick down the door era. That didn't work. Just made things worse. I wanted to move into the, uh, above. I want to integrate it into the medical system. I'm going to see it for death and dying. I'm going to see uh, what we've learned about spirituality integrated into medicine. 
And as people like us, uh, this is not just for young people, it's for seniors. Uh, people like us are dealing with mortality issues and uh, after afterlife issues. And I'll close it because I know we're running out of time. But the most incredible thing that happened out of my latest psilocybin experience is I experienced that that ground between life and death, afterlife. And that when you when you die, it's not just you go from life to death, you go into this third dimension, this spiritual dimension. And I felt myself communicating with my uh, uh, dead parents. And then I have a smidge of Native American. And, and, and the only time I came close to a bad trip is I started crying. My wife was with me. She said, why are you doing that? Because I experienced uh, what the white man had done to Native Americans. And my guide had Native American music. Well, whoever thought that uh, would happen. So there is this third dimension, this break on through to the other side that we all know about, but that was unintended, but very therapeutic to me. It helped decrease my fear of dying because I know there's a third dimension. And I talk a lot about it with uh, every Tuesday morning, uh, my guide and friends come over and we have these little psychedelic sessions and we talk about it. It's ongoing. David, it's been a privilege talking to you again. Thank you so much for being with us today on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. What I'm coming away with is what you said about three dimensions of the use of psychedelics, the recreational, the medicinal, and now the spiritual, which we believe, you and I believe, the spiritual and the medicinal are going to connect, and there's going to be a combination of what you might call medicinal spiritual healing. Yes. I, th I think what we are both saying to the public is that we're warning them about recreational use, that indiscriminate recreational use is dangerous and can lead to serious problems, just like indiscriminate use of heroin and cocaine and methamphetamine are extremely dangerous, uh, even more so. But we're warning them that there are dangers in the psychedelics and that we really are asking the public to educate themselves about set and setting and the use of a proper guide in order to ensure their safety. Is that correct? Do we agree on that? Yes, because I don't want the recreation issues to backfire and kill the therapeutic and ceremonial spiritual use like it did in the 60s. Exactly. So you articulated it very well. Yes. So thank you again for being here. I look forward to catching up with you sometime within the next year, and we'll do a follow-up to this program. Great. Thank you for all your ratings and writings and your guidance in this area. And thank you, gentle listeners, for being with us today on this broadcast of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I remind you we broadcast every single Tuesday at nine o'clock. But for those of you who can't make it then, we have our archives and our archives are open source, which means no fee. You can listen to any of these programs, including this excellent one with Dr. David Smith, the founder of the historic Haight-Ashbury Medical Clinic on our archive. So until then, 
Until next time, this is Dr. Richard Lewis Miller reminding you that good health is worth fighting for, and it's essential for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thank you.